So peace, when did it come? Has it come? Uh, peace in the 60s, not that. I was born in 66, so uh, I kind of missed it. But uh, all of that, I do remember the peace symbol. You know, uh, my brother, I was the youngest of five, and so my older siblings did all the 70s culture, which I, I still love 70s culture, all the big hair and the leather jackets and all that stuff. Anyway, uh, peace and love didn't work, didn't last, or did it even start? I don't know. There's a peace accords, peace treaties, promises of peace between nations in families. Uh, I grew up in a warring family. Uh, you know, there were times of peace, and we're all like, I wonder if it's going to stay. No. Uh, and same with people in their own soul, peace in their own soul. A uh, big thing right now uh, is peace in the Middle East, and there ain't. Will it ever happen? Will there be peace in the Middle East? Yes, indeed. Correct. Ezekiel 37:25. They, meaning Israel, will live on the land. I thought this would be very appropriate for the current events. They will live on the land that I gave to Jacob, my servant, which, by the way, is uh, all those lands around there, all the way to the uh, Euphrates River, down to Egypt, all the way up to, uh, up to the north. They will live on the land that I gave to Jacob, my servant, in which your fathers lived, and they will live on it, they and their sons and their sons' sons, forever. And David, my servant, will be their prince forever. God continues in this promise, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant with them and I will place them and multiply them and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My dwelling place also will be with them and I will be my God, their God and they will be my people. And the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. You know, does Israel have a future, a permanent one? Anyway, that, I plucked that out because we're finished. We're, we're finished Thessalonians today, and um, the last thing that Paul states is a wish prayer of peace for people that he's he's not going to be able to return to. And uh, so uh, our topic is peace. Let's turn to Second Thessalonians three sixteen, the last, well, almost the last line. And let's open up in prayer and be thankful for his word, always ready to hear, uh, not focusing or on anything else other than God's word, no matter what's going on in your life, and uh, so that we can learn and grow in grace and knowledge. So with, with that, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word that through your word we continue to grow as we complete our study in Thessalonians. It's not as if we're never going to return here, but we are just grateful, Father, that you have led us through line by line to understand these important letters. letters that, these are the first letters that Paul wrote that are in the Bible, and in them, Father, we have been blessed. Um, and as you complete these letters with a wish of peace in our lives, knowing all the things that can, that can happen to us in this world before we get to heaven, we see, Father, that you 
have given us perfect peace. We thank you for your many gifts, of which that is one of the greatest. And we ask, Father, that through your Spirit, that we would each see what peace is and have more of it. And we ask in Christ's name, amen. So as we know, uh, peace comes and goes for most people. Um, We wonder why it won't stay. Uh, This week's lessons actually point to the solution of that. Uh, The reason why even Christians don't have peace on a consistent basis is because there's parts of their lives that they have not given over to the will of God. And so everything in our life, if it's not given to his will, those things are vaporous. They're not, as we saw this week, they're not solid. They're not real because the only real things are from God. Only the uh, indestructible, only the eternal, that is truly real. And everything else is shadow, it's vapor, it's smoke, it's futility. So uh, that's why it doesn't stay. All things must be laid down before the Lord, everything in my life. It's a process, and that's why our peace grows. You know, the, the more areas of your life, the more thoughts, the more of everything that you are and do and think, the more it is given over to the will of God, more of that given over to the will of God, the more peace you're going to have. You'll experience it greatly the more you do that. And so in our passage, if you look at 3.16, this is a, now this, uh, may the Lord of peace continually grant, it's the Greek word, it's to give, give to you. It's in an optative mood, which is a wish. Paul wishes this for them. And therefore, it's frequently these optatives. There's not many of them in the scripture, but uh, there's uh, They're more frequent than in other places here in Thessalonians, but um, it's it's often called a wish prayer. An optative is a mood of wish, a wish prayer. And so, may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. Underline in your heart, every circumstance. It doesn't matter what situation it is. It doesn't matter who it's with or if you're completely alone, uh, every single circumstance. And this is Paul's will, or sorry, his, and yeah, it is his will, but it's his wish for them. Because he can't be with them. He can only write them letters. He can only send Timothy at this point, which he did. And notice that it is the Lord of peace. This is the only time in the New Testament that this phrase, it's usually God of peace, Theos of peace, but this is Kyrios of peace, Lord of peace. And it's the only time it's used like this. It's likely a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, which is generally the case when when Paul uses the word Kyrios or Lord. And so this title that he has, I am the Lord of peace, meaning I have created it. I I rule it. I mean, I am the king of it. And then he says, and of course, he's the only source of it. And peace is something. This is one of the big three. Uh, love, joy, and peace. Often we think of the big three in terms of faith, hope, and love, which uh, that is a big three. But I mean here in terms of fruit, fruit bearing. And the fruit of the Spirit, the first three, love, uh, joy, and peace, are those first three that are depict our fruit that grows from our walk with God. The other six, the remaining six types of fruit that are listed there in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, deal with other people. 
It's like faithfulness and patience and stuff like that. Uh, goodness and self-control, which actually deals with yourself. And but but uh, love, joy, and peace come from not from people, but from your walk with God. So uh, peace in the world is rare. Why? Well, the world's full of trouble, and it always will be until the Lord returns which is what we just read in Ezekiel 37. That is the second coming of the Lord. Uh, peace cannot come by making everything right and easy in your life because it never will be. You could try. It made me think, of, you know, the uber rich who have everything handed to them and they have, uh, can do whatever and they live in these wonderful mansions. They have mansions all over the world and place stuff like that. Do they have peace because they have eradicated all problems with cash? Right? They, they actually they find out, and I've read about this. That you know, you're you're constantly wondering, like, who's your friend? Who's your friend if you're a billionaire? I mean, everybody is attracted to that kind of money. Everybody wants a piece of it. People want to take it. How do you know people really love you? Right? There's all kinds of problems that come with it. So peace uh, in the New Testament is the Greek word irene. And I give you these because, well, I, wanna, I want you to relate it to the Old Testament shalom. And shalom is, these are really synonymous. It's a word that's used... Um, it's about almost 400 times in the Bible. It's everywhere. From the beginning to the end. Irene is in every book of the New Testament except 1 John. That's the only book where you don't find it. So it's frequent, so frequent. And a shalom is used more so. Well, the Old Testament's bigger, much bigger. Uh, and shalom is something that is a significant word uh, in Israel. Uh, even as it is today. And so, again, this is one of the big three out of love and joy and peace. Peace means more than calm in your heart, though it means that, but it means more than that. Uh, peace means, Irene means more than a truce or an agreement between enemies. Like Shalom in the, Ut in the Old Testament, peace means universal flourishing. It's a word of prosperity. And uh, I liken it to prosperity of the soul. It's not just calm, because you could be in the whirlwind and have this. It's wholeness. It's another, uh, we get this from shalom. Shalom often means wholeness, to be complete or whole. And in the New Testament, we're told that we are in Christ made complete. It means delight. It's very closely associated with the word joy. Uh Peace, or irene, is a rich state of affairs that inspires a joyful wonder and worship of the Creator. In other words, my heart is so full of peace that I am in wonder and in awe of the Creator. You know, how could that happen in here? In a world that is full of chaos. Like we see it now, it's... We, none of us really know. I, don't, I know we don't. We don't know hardly anything of what's going on behind the scenes with people who are pulling strings here and there. And trying. what are they trying to do? I find it comical. 
What are they trying to do? They're trying to do what the Antichrist is eventually going to do once God removes the restraint. As we saw in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, once God removes that restraint, then Satan's man this uh, can then take power. And he tries to rule the world. And he really can't do it. I mean, he does it. He has the position. But there's constant war. Constant war. And death and destruction and misery. Where's the peace in the tribulation? Now, Babylon the Great, that's his great city. And that ultimately, what people want in this world, that's where they're headed towards. They're trying to get that, to rule the world. One of my favorite songs from the 80s by uh, Tears for Fears, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. That's on my workout playlist. Um, So, peace. Paul opens every letter with it. Every letter he writes, grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you. And actually, at the end of his letters, in three letters, he closes with it. This is one of them. May the Lord of peace. Now, may the Lord of peace continue to grant you peace in every circumstance. And then he says, the Lord be with you all. And he leaves out the verb there so we know it would be the same thing like a wish prayer. May the Lord be with you all. And, you know, and you wonder about this. It almost, it's just like kind of something you say at the closing of a letter, but under the inspiration of God, the Holy Spirit, nothing, no word is wasted. And so the Lord be with you all. May he be with you all is Paul's desire of I can't be with you. He loves his churches. He loves them. He loves God's people. He lays down his life for them. But I can't be there. I can't be with you. So we praise. May the Lord be with you. Peace is free freedom from worry and fear. Psalm 4, 7 and 8. You have put gladness in my heart, David writes. Now, the first two psalms in the Psalter are the introductory psalms. And then you have Psalm 3, Psalm 4, 5. You you know, you see how smart I am? They're in order. First, you get 3, then comes 4, and then comes 5. You know the rest. And uh, and up to Psalm 8, they build in terms of, in Psalm 3, David is an incredible pressure and suffering, and he's like, he's praying, he's like, Lord, how are you going to deliver me? Then in Psalm 4, he's like, I know you're going to deliver me. In Psalm 5, you're definitely going to deliver me. And then as these Psalms build, there's actually a break where I believe, yeah, it's in Psalm, is it 7 or I think it's in 8. I'm getting confused, but I, I forget which one. But now this, it comes to a Psalm of praise. Deliver me. You will deliver me. I know you're going to deliver me. I know you're going to get my enemies too. I don't have to worry about them. There's this confidence building in the Psalms. And then David writes a psalm of praise. Right? It's the natural outflow. If you and I are delivered from the things that are going to make us worry and anxious and fearful which is everything in this world, including here, right? Our sins, our temptations to sins, and you know, our, our fear of what are we going to do next. We've got a track record of sin, and who doesn't? 
that there's this response of praise to God. How in the world did you get peace in my heart? You have put gladness in my heart more than when their grain and new wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. Now, the Lord doesn't um, just randomly put joy in people's hearts, you know, like pixie dust or something. In this psalm, it says, The godly man who trusts the Lord and meditates on his word, that's in verses 3 through 5, he's the one who experiences the, the joy of the Lord, the joy of his heart. Now, it's not works, is it? It's just trust. I am going to trust you, and I'm going to meditate on your word. I'm going to go to the source of you, to me, your word. And the promise here, as David experienced it, would be that the gladness would be in his heart. I didn't put the line up there, but he says, more than when the grain and new wine abound, meaning more than when we're all celebratory over uh, at harvest season, in which in an agricultural economy, if you have a big harvest, that's the best part of the year. It's when you bring it all in. It's become a punchline that every Miss America pageant contestant, I haven't watched Miss America in probably 20 years, since I was a young kid just looking forward to the swimsuit competition, you know. But... Uh, you know, what every Miss American contestant is going to work for world peace. And everybody's always promising this. I got promises of peace. The prophets in the Old Testament saw the world of peace. They wrote of it. It's in multiple places, all through, through the prophets. Actually, we saw in Ezekiel 37 was one of those. Uh, the hills flow with wine. I think it's, uh, as one writer puts it, he thinks the Hebrew word means like a Chardonnay, like a white wine. <laughs> I don't know why that makes any different. But uh, a, a time of incredible prosperity, a time of peace where the Lord reigns on David's throne and there are no bad characters. When there are bad characters, they are executed quickly. Now, the Old Testament prophets saw that. They promised it. But they, it's clear in the Scripture that it won't happen until the Lord returns. At the second coming, it's coming. Until then, you're not going to see it. It's not going to be in your life or this world. Now, none of us should be shocked at what's happening in the Middle East right now. None of us should be shocked if... You know, God forbid World War III starts up. And the world is a crazy place. But God has everything under control. We know that. As far as what has destroyed peace in the world, well, it's obvious. It's been sin. The sin of mankind. Pride especially. Lust for wealth and power. When it comes to empires, the empires in various parts of the world, small and large, right now, as they always have been, looking to conquer the world. Haven't they? Like, what did, in, what did Egypt want to do back, way, way back when? Like 4000 BC or something. They wanted to conquer. And when they didn't, there was uh, the, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Greeks, Alexander the Great. What did he, what did he do? He just wanted to keep going. 
it's, when, when Alexander was at India, he was like, let's keep going. And his soldiers were like, enough. They wanted to go home. And that's the only reason he couldn't keep going. He would have kept going. Yeah, until he ran out, of, ran out of room, ran out of real estate. He just wanted to conquer everything. Same with the Romans. And on and on it goes. Same today. What's more, and, and so what are they after in our day and age? We should make it modern. I just read this crazy article today. It, it, by uh, Someone who has investigated it fully that, uh, that some evil players in other parts of the world have made friends with other evil players that are in Mexico and they're trying to do things to get into this country and do bad things. Don't say who or who I read about. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They don't go from the north. I wonder, is because Canada is too cold? Is that it? <laughs> Rather set up shop in Mexico? Food's better? I don't know. But anyway, uh, <laughs> what are they after? What do they want? Like, go home. You have enough stuff. But what do they want? They want to take what is good for themselves. They want to ruin what's good. Freedom. God's people. Now, of course, we know Satan's pulling strings here. So that's why the anti-Semitism is always rampant. We see it again. Here it is again. Anti-Semitism rearing its ugly head. Did it ever go away? No. It's always been. Satan hates the fact that there's a nation that God calls his own. What's more frustrating to us and really brings it more to home is that the West, meaning Europe and America, are far more powerful than any of these other players that want to conquer us. Far more powerful. They can, and it's because of what we have. It's because of our freedom and our innovation and our free speech. People have ideas here that they can express and speak of. But what we get frustrated at is that our leaders, and many people who live here, want to throw away our strength. Our, the bullies want to take over this place or conquer or influence us and take, want to take away our freedoms because that's what makes us powerful. And uh, there's people in the West who want to hand it over and say, please, take our power. And so the only way we can be defeated is from within, correct? It's always been this way. Kingdoms are conquered when they fall from within themselves. And we see it on the news, right? We see it, we read it. How's that working for your peace? That was my point of that. Right? How's, how's your news cycle working on your peace? Peace is soul prosperity, wholeness, and delight. And against it are the evil powers in this world. Should you or I give away our peace because, I don't know, politicians, the news, what I read, what people are doing, what people are getting away with, Hamas, Hezbollah, China, Russia, North Korea, what else have we got? I don't know. <laughs> Who knows, right? It doesn't matter. The names change. The places change. There have always been. Always been. Nebuchadnezzar, Assyria. Now, Egypt, 
They all at one time were evil players on a world stage trying to conquer. The Thessalonians were persecuted by their own unbelieving families and neighbors. We learn this. It's in both letters that we see this. But especially in the first letter, Paul says, you guys were persecuted. You have suffered persecution just like we did. Paul said, and, and doesn't, when Paul says that they suffered persecution like Paul did, that means it was serious stuff, that it was very painful and very aggressive because that's what Paul faced. And it was from, as uh, Paul writes, it was from their countrymen. So these Thessalonian believers were pagans with the rest, and when they became Christians, they were persecuted by their neighbors and family who didn't convert. And it was so intense that Paul said it was just like his. But as Paul wrote to them, he said, well, you stood firm. And not only did you stand firm and endure as new believers, they're new believers, um, they, their faith and their love increased. So should ours. So what, my faith can't, you know, my, my Christianity, should it be put on hold because I'm having a tough time? Because there's a few people, bad actors in my life, who are making my life really, really hard? Should my Christianity stagnate? Well, we learn from the Thessalonians that it should increase. Those situations are used by the Lord for our faith to increase, not to be defeated by them. And it didn't happen to the Thessalonians. And by the way, it doesn't matter how long you've been a believer or how much you know, because the Thessalonians were months old. They were brand new believers. How much doctrine did they have? There isn't even a Bible. There isn't even a letter of the Bible written at this time, except for these two. These are the first two that go into the Bible. There's no Bible. But they have, the, as Paul calls them, traditions. So they were taught orally all the doctrines. So they, were, they knew the doctrines. Um, and so still, brand new believers. So we, can never, we can't use the excuse that I'm too young, I don't know enough, I'm not strong enough. You are. Don't use excuses. These things are used for our growth. It's perspective, really, isn't it? If I, if I see them for what they are, then maybe they won't make me. I know they won't. They won't make you as angry or afraid or bitter or jealous or whatever else we do in reaction to them. So what about peace on earth? And, you know, when the angels came, the angels appeared to the shepherds and they said, peace on earth. No, that's what Hallmark said, but that is not what they said. (laughs) They said, peace to every man with whom God is pleased. That's what they said. God is bringing peace to all all to whom God is pleased. The angel said. And this bears bears out all throughout the scripture. To those whom God is pleased, peace will be theirs. As we just saw in Psalm 4, I will lay down and sleep in peace. Why? Because I'm godly. I meditate on your word. My enemies do not. And David says this constantly throughout the Psalms. So then, so and Jesus says, don't think that I came to bring peace on earth. And he did not. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. 
And then he quotes Micah. He quotes out of the Old Testament Micah in this passage. And he says, a man's enemies will be members of his own household. Why is that? Well, did you come from a family that fought with each other? I did. (laughs) I had a brother who didn't talk to me for 15 years. We talk now. Actually, I talk to him now more than I talk to any of the others, which is funny. But anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, families warred with each other. It's just that now when Christ came, when now, as we see in Thessalonica, when a family member becomes a Christian and now has what? This life and this peace and this, this change of life. And their fellow family members are like, well, what's wrong with you? Why don't you run with us anymore? Why don't you do what you used to do? Why are you telling me all this Jesus stuff and Bible stuff? I don't want to hear it. And so when Jesus came into the mix and people got saved, which is a truly a life change because we're made brand new, then those who were unsaved hated those who were. And this continually happens. So through the gospel, this hatred, that was already there. It just became more intensified. So, we have, this is, I'm I'm building up here, evil powers of the world, and now we have persecution from unbelievers. That might be in your family. I'll be repeating this definition of peace. It's soul prosperity, wholeness, delight. This means joy in the Lord. What about when you're persecuted by unbelievers? Where could we go in the Scripture to give us encouragement to have peace while we're being persecuted. We could be here all night really looking up passages. Blessed are you, he said, when they persecute you for my name's sake. Your reward in heaven is great. Could we see in all of these, somewhere in the Gospels, where Jesus is going through the same thing? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, how's my peace when I'm being persecuted by unbelievers? Now, next, in this final paragraph of 2 Thessalonians 3, Paul tells them now, imitate me. And he said this in other passages as well. Imitate me. In other letters, he says the same thing. Now, what he says when he says, imitate us or me, is that he toiled and labored night and day And though he was an apostle and didn't have to. And what he means when he says uh, we had the power or the right or the authority not to, it was that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. He wrote that to the Corinthians. So as an apostle, he should be provided for. So when he goes there, he should be provided for. They should be getting Paul the food that he needs. He should be getting Paul the water, whatever he needs. They should be providing that. And they and nothing. Nobody's saying that they didn't. They didn't leave them out to dry. It's just that Paul said we wanted to set an example for you, because obviously there were lazy people in Thessalonica. These were Christians who weren't doing anything. So if Paul doesn't work overtime, he doesn't set an example. And that well, that was his thinking. And so as we saw in our last class, this was a manifestation of Paul's love. 
the law of love. I'm going to sacrifice my time when I don't have to. I'm going to sacrifice my energy when I don't have to. And I'm going to do what I do for the sake of another, for the sake of their growth, for the sake of their understanding, for the sake of their learning. And this is something you have to get rid of your pride completely to do this, don't you? Like if I have this attitude of, well, I've done my duty, like that word duty makes me feel like a teenager saying a bad word. Not a teenager, but, you know, a young teenager. Uh, but if I'm going to be like, all right, I've done my duty, why aren't you? I'm going to be going around making sure everybody's doing their duty. Doing what they're supposed to do. I'm going to keep tabs on it. Maybe not write it down, but right here in my head, I'm going to keep tap. Because, you know, I'm working my butt off over here. Why aren't you? And you have, when you do that, you've totally lost your peace. You've, it, is, it is completely not of God. What if God said to us, I've done a bunch of work. Now, what are you going to do? <laughs> right? What if he said, now, look, I, I'd be like, all right, God, what, what, have, what have you done? Huh? Created the universe? Okay. Become a man? Die for the sins of the whole world? Savior of the world? Rule the world? Defeat all enemies? What am I supposed to do that's even remotely close? But then, pours into our hearts. We need to keep track of what everybody's... We need to make sure everybody's doing what they're supposed to do. You have stepped completely outside of the love of God. And why don't you have the love of God in that situation? Is because you haven't laid down your pride at the altar of God's throne. You haven't laid it down. You're holding on to your pride. And all it's doing is holding you back. It's holding you back from everything that God wants you to see. Pride So, Paul didn't do that. Now, Paul he tells them, look, for those who aren't doing anything, admonish them. He says, warn them. But he says, not as an enemy, but as a brother. Not as, don't become enemies, but as a brother. So, all right, if I'm not going to be the one who's walking around looking to make sure everybody's doing what they're supposed to do, why should I be admonishing them anyway? And it's because you want them to experience the peace of God and the joy of God like you do or like anybody else does. Because idleness is not peace. This is a fallacy in this world. When do I get peace? Well, when I finally get on, go on vacation and I go to that beach and I get my umbrella drink and I sit in that chair and I put my feet up and I don't do anything all day, then I'm at peace. And I'm not going to say that that's not a wonderful feeling. Don't get me wrong. It's wonderful. But how long can you do it for? Isn't it completely temporary? What if you did that as a life? You just did nothing. God didn't design us this way. God designed us to do. Because we're made in his image. And that's what God does. He works. He does. He creates. Idleness is not peace. God has given us tons of work to do. And that is what peace is. Peace is... So in that case, I'm laying down my time. Your time is not yours. 
I'm laying down my time at the altar of the throne of God. I am giving it to Him. This is yours. Isn't it His right? He has created time. So Paul tells them to avoid the ones. And so there's going to be, he tells them a discipline here. Look at 2 Thessalonians 3, 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life. That word unruly, again, means undisciplined. Octoctos, or I think that's how it is. I might have an extra T in there, but um, it means undisciplined or disordered. So unruly in English doesn't really carry that. This is just an undisciplined life that I'm no control over myself and no control over my time. Uh, when I should be doing something, I'm not doing it. And as he's going to say there, he use it's actually a, um, it's kind of like a turn of phrase or something. Where when he calls them busybodies, he says you're you're being busy, you're working, being busy workers, or I forget how it goes, but. Anyway, uh, we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord, you stay away. That's what I'm getting at here. You stay away from every brother who leads an unruly life, and not according to the tradition that you receive from us. The tradition was the teaching that Paul gave them. And in that teaching, they were told to work the works of the Father. Now skip down to verse 14. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person. And there he would specifically be referring to uh, that they are following or obeying the traditions. It doesn't mean that they're sinless, obviously. Not obeying our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him. So that will be put to shame. So and this and this is a hard thing to do, is it not? It's hard. It's not something anybody wants to do. It's uncomfortable. But what we want to do naturally is to keep the peace with everybody. But when you're keeping peace with some people that don't have God's peace and are on a, a lifestyle or manner that that is not going to lead them to God's peace, you're not helping them at all. If you love them, and you want them to have God's peace, you'll follow this. And believe me, I, it, it's hard for me too. It would be. But he had put him to shame. But then again in verse 15, <clears throat> no, do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So, And this means that a brother means love. Right? Philadelphia it means brotherly love here. Like the Stoic philosophy had something like this in which if someone's not towing the line, we ignore him. That's not a new concept with the Bible. But what's new with the Scripture is that you're ignoring him as a brother. (laughs) That makes any sense. It does. And that you're, you're putting across the point in a very real way that I don't agree with your lifestyle. And if I'm, I'm one who's walking with God as best that I can and you're not, and you know, I'm not going gonna to make sure that you know that um, you need to change. And that's how we do it. And so in, this is also, wait, that shouldn't be there. Oh, I didn't put them in. 
There we go. Romans 16, 17. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned and turn away from them. This is not just in Thessalonians. This is a discipline that God wants us to enact on fellow members of the body. Again, as a brother, not as an enemy. 1 Corinthians 5.11, he says, But I actually wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother. Some think that that means that Paul's suspecting that they're not believers. It could be. We don't know. We'd have to ask Paul. Any so-called brother, if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. And in our world where everybody wants to get along, it seems kind of harsh. But this is the reality of it. And that's what God wants us to do in that case. So, the next one is soul prosperity, wholeness, and delight. Now, the against, well, fighting for your peace is the undisciplined believers in your life. So we have the evil world empires, we call it the news, <laughs> world events. There's the unbelievers who persecute. There are the believers who are undisciplined and therefore, for whatever reason, they're not doing what you would like them to do. They're not, um, they're not following the Lord. Because of that, they're gonna, those who don't follow the Lord are going to fall into more sin. And so there's that issue that sin could cause a rift or trouble between you and them. And on and on. And so, and this becomes a problem. I mean, it's obvious from Paul's letters and also John and Peter and the rest that there was a lot of problems in the church right at the beginning. It hasn't stopped. Right? The big problem with Christianity is Christians. Absolutely. It's, it's us. So, now... So notice, again, when we get to now verse 16, may the Lord, we'll just repeat it again, may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The Lord may be, may the Lord be with you. It should be, may the Lord be with you all. And this shows Paul's concern for the churches. He cannot be with them. He wants to be. He said it in the first letter in chapter 3. We long to be with you, but he said Satan stopped him. Somehow Satan stopped him from getting there. So he sent Timothy. He's in Corinth when he writes this, and uh, he can't be with them. So he exhorts them. He admonishes them by letter. That's all he can do. And pray for them, which he said multiple times in this letter that he prays for them. But it's not only them that Paul longed to be with. He longed to be with many. He wrote it in the letter to the Romans. He said, I long to be with you. He longed to go to Jerusalem. And he did. He actually made it to Jerusalem. From which he got arrested and sent away into prison. When he's in prison, he longed to be. And this is another aspect of peace. Are you with the people you want to be with? Maybe... You know, the, the people you want to be with, if they were different, I don't know. Yeah, are you, do you have a situation of where you're separated from someone? 
There's a lot of that going on, of course. And it could be very, it just could be like, like I have friends on the East Coast that I would really love to have in my life. My, my first daughter, I'd love to have her in my life. Which I do by phone, you know. Thank God we have, well, at least we have video. But and I just, and she has a son, my grandson. Love, love for them to be here. I just can't, I, it's just not working that way. Maybe it's family member. Someone you love dearly. You just don't get to spend any time with them. Paul doesn't get to spend time with them. He longs to. And, and on top of that, he knows that they're being attacked by Satan. He says in, the, in his letters that we wanted to make sure that Satan was not taking any advantage of you. Satan stopped Paul, from, somehow stopped Paul from getting there. Plus, there's this huge amount of persecution from their fellow country, their countrymen, their family members. He knows this. That's why he says not only when in 1 Corinthians, he said, not only was I stranded, went hungry, went thirsty, sunk at sea, and beaten and whipped, but I had this continual um, concern for the churches. Did he have peace? Yeah. I mean, if anybody's, any Christian's not going to have peace, is going to be this busy guy. Putting his life on the line day in and day out. He's not a superman, by the way. He's just a man. But he has faith. He trusts. We have the wrongs of the world, the wrongs of unbelievers, the wrongs of believers, the wrongs of believers against other believers. And then finally, we have our loved ones who we can't be with. We can't. I, what can we do? We have more technology than Paul, so we can talk to him by video. We can email them, so you don't have to wait as long as Paul would have to wait for this letter to be delivered. But still, same thing. What can we do for them? We can pray for them, and as Paul says here, may the Lord be with you. That's all I can do for you right now. Is I can write to you, I can admonish you in the, in the writing. I can encourage, these letters are really letters of encouragement. I can encourage you, but I can't be with you. And that's the last one I have. Soul prosperity and wholeness and delight, which is what peace is, versus not being able to, not able to be with those that you love. You'll be someone who's died. Right? So it's a similar situation. Should I give up my peace? When my, as you know, my first wife died just a few years after she died. I tried to handle it like a strong Christian. I even put on the right mask. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't at all. Thank God that's a long time ago. It's like another lifetime, really. I didn't handle it well. I had all the right stuff, meaning the right doctrines in my soul. I didn't apply them. <coughs> So, you know, uh, who's going to give you peace? It's the Lord. If you don't have it, whose fault is it? Well, it's not His. Paul says here, in every circumstance. So I just, I came up with just skimming the letters again, saying, what, we've got persecution from without, we've got troubles within, and we've got the fact that 
<clears throat> Paul, our awesome pastor teacher, can't be here. So it's another, you know, not just Paul can't see them, but they can't see Paul. I mean, if I'm in the church at Thessalonica and I had the Apostle Paul as my pastor for, you know, he was there for about a month, we imagine, and then we don't have him anymore, now who's filling in? Oh boy, here he comes. Pastor Joe. Right? This guy stinks. You know, he's nothing compared to Paul. And he's not going to be either. But he's all they got. They're going to lose their peace? they got a stinky pastor? God's going to say, tough. You know, your peace comes from me, from your, your uh, dim-witted pastor. I don't know if he's dim-witted or not, but I don't even know. We don't have not a clue who filled in after Paul. But, man, imagine that. There goes Paul. All right, now you take over. <laughs> like, oh, what? Um, what do I say? <clears throat> All right, go to John 14. John 14. Was the Lord persecuted? So all four things that we looked at, persecution by unbelievers, dealing with believers who are undisciplined and causing trouble, um, <clears throat> being without the ones that you love. Think of the life of our Lord. Persecuted by unbelievers? Relentlessly. Having to deal with believers who are undisciplined? Like all the time. It makes me think of it. after he fed the 5,000, you know, he turned, was it, five loaves into feeding 5,000. And then uh, they get in the boat to go across the sea. And the disciples are like, oh, we forgot to bring bread. And they're arguing, they're, they're kind of like under their breaths saying, oh, what are we going to do? We don't have any bread. And uh, that's the, those are the kind of guys that Jesus had to deal with for three years. And he told he said, what just happened over there on the land when I just made 18,000 loaves of bread? Yeah, like, what just happened? And, he's, you know, he's constantly dealing with that. <clears throat> How about not being with the ones that he loved? He left heaven. He's stuck in a finite human body. None of us, what is it like to be God in a human body? None of us can comprehend it. And he has his father. But then he's, not only that, he's misunderstood. And then when it comes to the time of the cross, he is forsaken by the entire world. The entire world has forsaken him. And he had peace. Look at John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You know, now that I think of this, I used to think of not as the world gives, because as the world gives peace, it depends on circumstances, which is true. But also, when the world promises peace, it's a lie. It's always a lie. And Jesus doesn't lie here. I'm giving you my peace. So he says, don't let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Things are going to go wrong. He doesn't say, I'm going to make, just for you believers, you guys, because I love you so much, I'm going to make your lives perfect. You know, I'm going to make your lives just perfect. Not, you're going to have no problems. 
It'd be like those 144,000 Jews, right, in the tribulation. No one can touch them. Like, how much fun would it be to be one of those guys in the tribulation? Saying, go ahead, shoot me, kill me, try it. Ah, it'd be so much fun. We're not like that. We're not indestructible angels. We're not indestructible at all. So, but he says, I'm giving you my peace. I leave it to you. Which means you have to accept it, right? And I've given it to you. I'm not lying. John 16.32. 16.32. Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. Yet, I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, so in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. In the world you have tribulation. That is a promise, and it will always be. But take courage. And where does courage come from? It comes from faith. It comes from trusting in someone that's greater than yourself. Like David. In that psalm, in multiple psalms. The Lord is my rock. Correct. What do we see in Psalm 19 in the last line? The Lord is my redeemer and my rock. Wait, rock first, isn't it? The Lord is my rock and my redeemer. There's, an, there's another, oh, what psalm is it? I just, I wanted to memorize it. It was so beautiful. I think it was 18. Where David is saying that, I hid, the Lord is my rock, and I hid in the cleft of the rock. In other words, the Lord being the rock, the Lord has this protective alcove in which he said, I hid myself. He was my protection, my shield. What other language, images is he used? My bulwark, the, uh, the wings of the mother bird over the chicks, protecting me. Always with me. Right? In control of everything. My will will be accomplished. All my good pleasure will be accomplished. God has done it. And he has left this world to be chaotic craziness and left us in it. So that we could learn to have peace. We'll never learn it if everything goes right. Never. All we'll learn to be is little brats. Little proud little brats. The problems have to be. The scary situation has to be. The, lo- the loss of the loved one has to be. It has to be. This prayer, oh, I didn't even put it in, so never mind. Well, you got time. Go to Numbers 6. I've been trying to keep my messages to 50 to 55 minutes. I'm like looking in the middle of the Bible. That's not where it is. It's one of the drawbacks of using your computer all the time to look up scriptures. You're like, especially the minor prophets. <laughs> Six uh, twenty-four. Actually, if you read twenty-three, speak. To Aaron and his son, to his son, saying, "Thus you shall, 
Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. You shall say to them. And this is a prayer. Right? It's a, a, a prayer for the priests, right? The Aaron is Aaron's the high priest. He's teaching them this prayer. The Lord's teaching them this prayer. I wonder how many times the Lord Jesus prayed this prayer. It's very common in, in Judaism. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. The image of the Lord's face right upon you. Bless you and keep you. Keep you is protect you, guard you, and bless you. And therein lies the source of all, all peace. So, all believers are called to peace no matter who, no matter what, no matter who you're with, no matter where you are. We're all called to it. Peace is soul prosperity, it's wholeness, it's delight. This wholeness and peace causes us to worship the Lord who we know is its source. Do you have the peace of the Lord? Or do you look for peace and you find temporary peace in other places? Or in other people? Do you have the peace of the Lord? If you don't, pray. Pray that prayer. You can say it word for word. Um, but seek it and you will find it. And that ends Thessalonians for us. Where are we going next? Oh, it's a vast Bible. We could go anywhere. (laughs) There's a lot of work to do. A lot of work to do. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for your peace that you have bestowed upon us through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He separated, he allowed himself to be separated from you, be judged for the sins of the world so that we could have perfect peace with you. He was forsaken by you to give us everlasting peace with you. What a gift, what a sacrifice, what a man. So, Father, as we see these things, may we turn and worship you. And also know, Father, that all the things that are preventing us from having peace in all circumstances is that we have not laid down some things, maybe many things, at the altar of your authority, of your throne. We have not submitted them to your will. Help us to do so, Father, because you're the only one who can show us how. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.